Welcome to another Four Minutes of Threads episode, where we examine the greatest nuclear war film in painful detail. Today we start at 28 minutes in. We've just seen shoppers who were indulging in a spot of panic buying flee the supermarket when a boy pops his head round the door to tell mum to come home at once because the Americans and Russians have started fighting. Yes, it's all kicking off. You wouldn't think that, though, to see Jimmy, who is sitting happy and snug in his aviary in the back garden, nuzzling his little birds, stroking their tiny heads as they tweet and cheep and flutter around him. Jimmy seems unconcerned. But let's be fair in Jimmy, is he chilling out in the aviary? Or perhaps hiding in the aviary? We know from previous scenes that Jimmy is far more attuned to the news than his pal Bob. So let's say Jimmy has retreated to the aviary, which is the tiny little patch of the world that is solely his. And if we look at his body language, he doesn't really look calm or relaxed. He's hunched in the corner, and his hands are curled protectively around one of the tiny birds. And he mutters comforting words to the little fellas. So on second glance, I'd say that Jimmy has crawled in there to perhaps feel a bit of security, a bit of peace, to get away from it all. If so, he should turn his radio off, as it's announcing an Emergency Powers Act has been passed. In Britain, emergency powers can be rushed into action by the government in response to a national or international crisis. In normal times, these would be highly controversial, so the understanding is that they will only be temporary to allow swift and necessary action to confront the current emergency. Here's a clip from the aviary with the droning, menacing news report being played alongside Jimmy's quiet murmuring to his birds. Soviet navies, a special session of parliament has this evening passed an emergency powers act. There'll be a special announcement at the end of this bulletin and details will be given then of how this affects you. The Prime Minister is expected to address the nation on the international crisis later this evening. A statement issued earlier from Downing Street said the government is optimistic that a peaceful negotiated settlement to the conflict is at hand. In the meantime, the public is urged to remain calm and to continue normally. In 2004, Britain introduced the Civil Contingencies Act which replaced much of our 20th century emergency powers legislation. Note the use of the word contingency, far less alarming than the word emergency. The Civil Contingencies Act allows government to give itself emergency powers, but must only be used, of course, in a catastrophic emergency, such as war, a huge natural disaster, or an industrial accident on the scale of Chernobyl. According to the Institute for Government website, the CCA, Civil Contingencies Act, allows the government to amend or suspend legislation without going through all the normal tortuous routes. As we see in threads, it means people can be detained, foodstocks seized and movement around the country restricted. But back to Jimmy, sheltering in his warm aviary. Those poor birds of yours, Jimmy, those tiny little creatures. How are they going to fare when the bomb drops? 
They are so fragile, and there's certainly no safety to be found in the sky. Consider this horrible quote about birds during an American nuclear test from the brilliant book, which I've cited many times in this podcast, Bracing for Armageddon. This is a memory from someone who observed a Pacific test. And suddenly, I could see all these birds. I could see the birds I'd been watching for days before. They were now suddenly visible through the opaque visor of my helmet. And they were smoking. Their feathers were on fire. And they were doing cartwheels. And the light persisted for some time. Several seconds, it seems like. Long enough for me to see birds crash into the water. They were sizzling, smoking. They weren't vaporised, it's just that they were absorbing such intense radiation that they were being consumed by the heat. The feathers were on fire. They were blinded. And so far there had been no shock, none of the blast damage. Instead, there were just these smoking, twisting, hideously contorted birds crashing into things. And then I could see vapour rising from the inner lagoon as the surface of the water was heated by this intense flash. Now this isn't a primary effect of the weapon, it's an initial kind of effect that precedes other things. You can see evidence of it in Hiroshima Blast and in Nagasaki. Outlines of people on bridges where they stood when the bomb dropped. But that initial thermal radiation is a phenomenon that is unlike any other weapon I've seen. I've never seen anything like that. So Jimmy, perhaps that's what might happen to your poor little birds if they manage to take flight just before the bomb drops. They might end up smoking, sizzling, cartwheeling through the air to crash, blinded into the scorched earth. As Jimmy pats his birds and comforts them, maybe we might think of his unborn baby being carried, of course, by Ruth. He'll never get the chance to hold that nipper and comfort it as he's doing here with the birds. This is as fatherly and protective as our Jimmy will ever get. All his future fatherhood will be taken away from him in a few days. And here we see that Jimmy, despite his faults, despite his immaturity, despite cheating on Ruth with some woman in the back of his car, he would probably have straightened up and become a good dad. The radio keeps playing in the background saying that people are being urged to keep calm. I think the news recently about coronavirus suggests that any such statement is guaranteed to do the opposite. It will spread panic. As we've seen, nothing has been more likely to spark surges of panic buying than the government and the supermarket saying there's no need to panic buy. And yes, just like clockwork, we see panic in the next scene. We see windows being smashed, there's looting, 
Sirens and screaming and police shoving people into vans. The uproar on the street keeps Mr and Mrs Kemp awake. But they'd probably both be lying awake anyway, even if the streets were silent. Poor Mr Kemp certainly would. Of all the Kemps, he is the most serious, the most aware, the most visibly troubled. Our next scene again involves the grim-faced Mr Kemp. Yet again, we see him doing something domestic. Remember, he's been made redundant from his match-skilling job of working in the steel industry. And when we see him, he's often at home, sometimes dressed in an apron, dishing out the dinner, doing the typically female tasks. And here he is, doing yet another domestic thing. He goes out onto the doorstep to collect the milk bottles. And yes, that's another appearance for milk. Must be the <laughs> millionth appearance so far in the film of milk. And as he steps outside, he sees his neighbours packing up the car. Doing a moonlight flit, he says, with a hint of bitterness. Yep, Mr Kemp knows that any such action is hopeless. Now we're going over to our jacks in Lincoln so our things get sorted out. I reckon we should be safer over there. Carol, we'll stop messing about there and come inside the house and do something to help. Yeah. Well, we're safe anywhere as far as I can see. Well, I don't know. We have a better chance of surviving in country, really, haven't we? I mean, we'd hijack lives his own here. Rod houses in a pub. I don't think they're going to bomb that, are they? Well, I think that's about it, Ron. Now, here's a little bit of Threads trivia for you. The scene of the Moonlight Flip is filmed on Hawksley Road in the Hillsborough area of Sheffield. Hillsborough, of course, became an infamous name five years later as the scene of the worst football disaster in British history. If you look at Hawksley Road on Street View, you'll recognise it instantly as the Kemp's family home. And when the neighbours pack up and drive off, the street they turn into, Cheezle Street, is actually a dead end. You won't get to our jacks in Lincolnshire going that way. And at the top of Hawksley Road, straight ahead, you can just about see a huge block of flats. Again, turning to Street View, we see that it's still there. It's an Art Deco-style building built in the 1930s, and it's called a Regent Court. The residents of the block, if they were following advice, currently being broadcast on the radio and TV from Protect and Survive, would be seeking shelter on the middle floors of the block, assuming, of course, that the neighbours were kind enough to let you in. Here's the advice from Protect and Survive about how to take shelter if you live in a block of flats. You must now choose a room in your home which will give the best protection from fallout. If you live in a house, the safest place is the ground floor or basement. Choose a room with the smallest amount of outside wall. The farther you are from outside walls and the roof, the better the protection. If you live in a block of flats which is more than five floors high, it is important not to use the top two floors. The safest places are inside passages away from outside walls and windows. If the block is four floors or less, the best place for a fallout room is the basement or ground floor. 
If you live too high up to be safe, you must make arrangements now with your neighbors in the lower floors or make some suitable arrangements to shelter with someone close by. If you live in a one-story house, like a bungalow or prefab, the building itself will not give you much protection. So the best thing is to make arrangements now to shelter with someone close by. If this is not possible, look for a space in your home which is farthest from the roof and the outside walls. Now, as the neighbours pack up the car, getting ready to flee to Lincolnshire, we can notice in the background others doing the same. Several cars pass on the road, and they're piled high with luggage, and a couple walk past carrying suitcases. Well, the bloke carries them. The, he's obviously very gentlemanly. The woman with him isn't carrying much, but yes, he is laden with suitcases. So yes, just as the government have urged everyone to act normally and stay calm... People start trying to get out of the cities. Although, going to Lincolnshire is hardly a smart move, as it was quite stuffed with RAF targets. As the family leave, Ron, the dad, reminds everyone to turn the gas off, and this gives Mr Kemp the delivery of a very darkly comic line. Have you turned that gas off? I hope so, we don't want the old street blowing up while you're away. Come on, Carol. As Ron bundles the family into the car, they see that they can't find the dog, Spot. And this hurts me. You'll know from one of my very earliest episodes, I believe it was the second one I ever recorded, that if an official evacuation order had ever been issued in Britain in the Cold War, and also in the Second World War, come to think of it, people would not have been permitted to take their pets. This actually happened in the Second World War, People were forbidden from taking cats and dogs with them. And so there were huge queues outside vets and dog homes in Britain for animals to be either euthanised or abandoned. And in the Cold War, again, if evacuation had been ordered, you would not have been able to take your pets with you. There was no room in any of the official plans for animals. Of course, what we're seeing here in Threads is not an official evacuation, because by this point in the Cold War, in Britain's Cold War planning, evacuation had been shelved in favour of a stay-put policy. And yes, later in the film, we see the family being stopped as they try to access the motorway. Evacuation was not allowed. Stay in your own home. That was the advice. And so there was no room for pets in any of Cold War planning, no room for any sentimentality. And we see Ron, the father, being very unsentimental about Spots, the family dog, urging the wife and kid to just pack up and leave, just get in the car. But little Spot leaps into shot at the last moment and jumps into the car. And as the family drive off, we see Spot on Carol's knee on the back seat, and she's happily hugging his neck. So Carol isn't worried. She's quite happily hugging her dog. And before that, she was standing on the doorstep playing with a Rubik's Cube. So she's not worried and neither is the mother. In fact, she's simply annoyed at all the fuss that's being made. Annoyed that they're having to leave. And she tuts and complains and grumbles that nothing will happen. 
She's even dressed in a skirt and high heels. Done up in her Sunday best, ready to visit the family in Lincolnshire. Talk about being unprepared. You do not want to greet the bomb in high heels. As the family leave, we hear the radio announce a newsflash. The Soviets have cut road links in and out of West Berlin. As our four minutes draws to a close, we see army trucks with the Red Cross on the side moving through the city streets in beside the ordinary traffic of Sheffield. And in the council offices, the TV's on, saying, Emergency measures. Official broadcast follows shortly. The feeling of dread is heavy in the film now. It's clear that we've reached the point of no return. The bomb is going to drop. So that's the end of our four minutes. And it's the four minutes, as I say, that tips us towards the end. We know now that the bomb is coming and that it cannot be ignored. Whether or not you've got your high heels on and your Sunday best, the bomb is going to drop. So that's the end of our four minutes of threads for this week. Let me say thank you to my patrons. Um, As I was editing the podcast, I got an email saying that Liz Murdoch, one of my patrons, had increased her pledge. So thank you, Liz, for increasing the amount you donate each month. You're now eligible for a postcard from an atomic or nuclear site. Of course, I can't travel just now. Most of us can't because of COVID restrictions. But hopefully, touch wood. Hopefully I'll soon be travelling again, hopefully for all of us. Things will be back to normal soon with the vaccine. And as soon as we can travel again, I've asked David that we head off to a nuclear bunker somewhere because I'm full of cheer and joy. And when I do so, Liz, I'll be sending you a postcard. I will also be sending you an Atomic Hobo coaster, which you're now eligible for, having increased your pledge. And let me say thank you also to the following patrons. Simon Reed, Tom... I've actually got two Toms, Tom Marshall, Tom Hudson. Thank you to my two Toms. And I've got a Tim also, two Toms and a Tim, Tim Westmeyer. And also thanks to Steve Sace, Simon Allison, Sean Judge and Runebot Techno Union Rep, Rob Johnson, Richard Lewis and Richard Allum. If you want to donate something to my podcast each month, if you enjoy it and want to show your support, please take a look at patreon.com forward slash Atomic Hobo. You can sign up there, donate any sum you wish, and you can cancel at any time. I know that's important just now with everything being a bit uncertain with coronavirus. So there is a no-hassle cancellation if you wish. But please do consider signing up to offer support through Patreon. Remember, you can reach me on Twitter through Julie A. McDowell or through Facebook Nuclear Britain or through my website, juliemcdowell.com. My listener stats have been down over the past two weeks. I assume that's because of Christmas. Maybe some people don't want to hear about nuclear horror during the jolly festive season. But for everyone who has tuned in, you are hardcore and you are loyal, and I thank you. (laughs) 